Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by Boxing Hall of Famer, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? No, I'm doing good. The first thing I want to say is I know you're under the weather. I know you're not feeling good. You've you you've been running all over the continent or continents or globe. Uh, so I know you're a little run down. We we appreciate that that you're here. Um, the other thing is. Obviously, today's Monday. Tomorrow's the 4th of July. So without any further ado, I wanted to make sure that I was wishing and we were wishing everyone a safe and happy 4th of July. I asked Rob to play this music for us while I I talked about the 4th of July and wished everybody, you know, a, a good holiday. Because this song, God Bless America, it still makes me feel emotional, to be honest, uh, when I hear it thinking of what so many have sacrificed and continue to sacrifice to give us this great home uh, for everybody. So I hope everybody enjoys the music. I hope you can hear it. Um, Rob's got it up there. And just as we celebrate and watch the fireworks, I would just say that if, if you can, take a minute to think and pray. For all those brave people who fought and died to give us this country and the freedoms we all enjoy, and perhaps at times we take for granted. I know I take things for granted without even really reflecting on it. Sometimes I have to look back and say, yeah, you know, I shouldn't take these things for granted. But sometimes we forget that freedom's not free. You know, I know that's an old cliche, but it couldn't be anything more true uh, than that, that old saying. So... Happy 4th of July, uh, you know, uh, a safe one. Be careful out there. Enjoy your barbecues. Enjoy the fireworks. But obviously, be be careful out there. And um, watch a couple movies. I know when it's the holidays, like the Christmas, I know that there's certain movies that just bring me to that Christmas spirit. You know, the the one that I think of is Miracle on Forty. What is it? Miracle on 34th Street. I always watch that like I'm a kid. And um, the other one I know is, what, what was it? Uh, James Cagney. It's a famous one. It's A Good Life uh, with James yeah. Cagney. You know, you, you see those movies and you kind of reflect back to what the holidays mean to you, to everybody. Um, and it, it puts things into a little bit of perspective. And the movie that I think of on the 4th of July is that old Jimmy Cagney movie, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. I just <laughs> I, I just love it. I mean, there's nothing more patriotic. Uh, so if you want to get into the patriotic uh, spirit other than watching Joey Chestnut swallow 400 hot dogs or whatever he's swallowing nowadays. He won again. Um, he won again, wow. Well, of course, he always wins. <laughs> Uh, he used Wasn't to get competition close. from that Yoko Shagi or whatever his name was, the guy from <laughs> Japan. He used to get yeah. competition from him. But I don't know what happened. Something happened legally where uh, all of a sudden he wasn't involved in a hot dog eating contest. And it's old, it's old Joey Chestnut. But um, again, Jimmy Cagney, get get into that spirit. Uh, you can still have a hot dog, but you can. You also might. Uh, you just. You might almost get a couple of tears come to your eyes. I know they do come to my eyes. I don't want to, you know, show that I'm a little bit of softness uh, as I get older. But when when you when you see that movie and you and you hear the words to the song and to our military men getting ready to go off to war, wow! It's, that's all I can say. Congratulations again uh, to you, Ken. Another notch on your belt, uh, or actually on your sneakers. You won a race that maybe that's why you're sick now because you're you're a little bit run down. But you you won a race. You come from the desert. You win the desert, and then you come home and you go to a freaking Chicago, and you win a race that you and other celebrity runners were invited to the Beer Mile World Championship Saturday in Chicago. I don't even want to ask how much beer you drank. Maybe that's part. Maybe maybe, you, maybe that's part of your problem. Who knows? Um, we used to call it, you know, I'm I'm half Irish, so we used to, I can say it then without insulting anybody, being that I am Irish, uh, we used to call it the Irish flu, always got the Irish flu, <laughs> but 
I, I don't know if you got the Irish or whatever nah. flu, but I don't think you have that. But anyway, you went to the Beer Mile World Championship Saturday in Chicago. Uh, it's, I guess, the liquid equivalent to the July 4th hot dog contest that we just <laughs> talked about with Joey Contest. Uh, right? I mean, you, you, you probably would beat Joey Chestnuts if you could... Chuck down a beer and run a mile more than he could run. <laughs> uh, I, I guarantee you, he couldn't eat a hot dog and run a mile the way you chucked a beer down. <laughs> and I guarantee you that. Guarantee you that. Anyway, you just... You had to you, chug a beer, run a lap times four. So you had to drink four beers, but they were non-alcoholic beers. It was sponsored yeah. by Athletic Brewing. So that I didn't have any beers at all, but still... It doesn't matter. There's no alcohol. It wouldn't like those beers. By the t I did it in six uh, six minutes and fifty seconds. The the winner of the world championships did it in four minutes and thirty seconds. It oh, it wow. doesn't even seem humanly possible. Wow. But um, it was so hard to run the first two hundred meters after chugging the beer. But by the by the by the second half of each lap, I was starting to get into a rhythm again, and I could drink the beers fast, and uh, the other people in my heat could not, and so I like lapped them all. I mean, I just blew them out. But the only other kid that was good was Carlin Isles, who's a two-time Olympic sprinter. He's a he's the fastest guy to ever play rugby. I mean, if you look at his highlights, Carlin Isles, I S L A. Es, the guy is a burner. He runs like a four two forty or something crazy. So when he was warming up, I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's a real athlete." You could just see he's a sprinter, but he could not. He couldn't drink the beers, and uh, he struggled. But yeah, I think that I think that being run down and then going there and then coming that was on Saturday. Came back on Sunday, had some dinner, and then I just the wheels came off last night. I've been up for like twenty four hours. I haven't eaten. I can't keep anything down. Oh. Better. I don't feel, feel good. better. This this show will make you feel a little bit better. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you don't. Hopefully you don't throw up during the show. Um, while you were chugging down beers in Chicago, running miles, my grandchildren were down LBI down the shore. They were selling lemonade, their first ever lemonade stand, and that oh, nice. was just. Um, it was it was just magnificent seeing pictures. I wasn't there. Me and Elaine were here taking care of her mother, but. Uh, Boy, to see pictures of that, they they drank more than they sold, but they made thirty. <laughs> they they that's what you would expect, and you know, but they made thirty eight bucks. And my other grandson in Las Vegas, uh, where it was one hundred twenty degrees, can try. That might be Yikes. your next one. Try running one hundred eighty, one hundred twenty <laughs> degree weather. Try doing that. No thanks. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna need some beers, some cold beers. But yeah. Anyway, he. It was such a cute story. They sent me the video. He was at the pool, and they had gone to the arcade. You know where you go to the arcade and you play those different games and you get tickets come out, and then depending on how many tickets you get, you go buy something, you know, some, you know, uh, plastic thing, right? So he got all these tickets, a whole bunch of them, and he cashed them in. And what do you think he cashed him in for? He cashed him in for a bracelet, and he went back to the pool and gave it to his girlfriend. He's four years old. He's four <laughs> years old. Buying, bra buying bracelets. Four years old, buying bracelets uh, for his girlfriend. <laughs> and, and, and the video was the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> she goes to thank him. He runs away. <laughs> he, 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 he runs away. You know? I mean, that was, oh, that was better than this. That's better than a line in The Godfather where... Um, Michael tells his father, the father asked him, uh, you know, Marlon Brando asked Michael, how's, how's your son doing? He goes, oh, he's doing good. He goes, he's, he's five years old and he's already reading the funny papers. Already reading the funny papers, five years old. Well, my grandson is four years old and he's already buying bracelets for girls. So, um, <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's funny. I'll be in Vegas next week covering the UFC show out there for ESPN. Uh, some great fights on the card. Yeah, a great and I think an intriguing main event with Volkanovski, who's been on the show before. Uh, he's in a very difficult and dangerous fight with Rodriguez, who's so dimensional and talented and explosive, you know, with the striking, kicking, skills on the mat. I think it's going to be a really interesting fight. I got tickets for you guys to come, thanks to my UFC ESPN family and Charlie Monahan, the director par excellence. Um, 
So you and Rob will be there in Vegas. Hopefully you'll be over this. But look, whether you are or not, I, I know you're going to get over there. But you and Rob will be there in Vegas with me. And you know what? We'll figure it out. But maybe we can set up something uh, to meet the fans. You know, uh, I, I'll let Rob give yes. a little bit of brainstorming to that. And I'll talk to Charlie. And if uh, yep. in between my responsibilities with ESPN, maybe we could, you know, Maybe we could figure out something. So that's, we got some, you know, didn't have a lot on the weekend, but what do you want to cover first, the UFC or the boxing? Yeah, let's jump right into the UFC because I think we only want to talk about the main event there. And that was um, Sean Strickland. My God, that guy is like on another level against Abbas Magomedov. And uh, my God, Sean Strickland is a scary guy. He's just got a crazy attitude. And he comes in and he walks through fire. He spars all the time. You know, he's got legendary wars in in the gyms. And he just, the guy... Uh, he just like unlike unlike any other fighter. He just seems to crave getting punched in the face. Uh, he doesn't crave getting punched in the face. I think, I think he's a just a really solid guy. But as far as the the talking and stuff, I know a lot of people hate him and love him and hate him. And it's it, obviously he's part of selling, just like Conor McGregor. You know, you got to sell your brand. Uh, it, it should be enough to be just a great fighter, but it helps. Hey, look. It's about making money too. So they figure out ways, obviously, to make money and sometimes go in a controversial way with an image and stuff helps because then you got the you wear the you know, you wear the bad guy hat and people will come out like Muhammad Ali said, he understood the theory of it. You know, half the people come to the arena, come to see me lose, half come to see me win. But they all buy a ticket. And so you know, you don't know how much of it is to, again, to create a brand that that people will come for one reason or another. But what I admire or what I appreciate, he he tells you what he he's honest. He's more <laughs> honest than most people. Yeah, he talk a lot of crap, but he he's pretty damn honest about himself. He's very self-deprecating um uh, uh, facing his his flaws his shortcomings he doesn't in any ways try to gloss that or make himself more than he is um he's kind of humble in those kind of ways where he, he, he talk about himself like i said in a in a in a very um <laughs> critical way um at times and and say hey look I'm just a guy that thank God for the UFC. You know, I'm, I want to make money, and uh, but at the end of the day, he said something nice. He said, "Look, I love all people. I care about all people. You know, even even the women." He made a joke. He said, "You know," <laughs> he said, "I'm a I, I, I'm a feminist. I, I I you know I made that comment that you know women belong in the kitchen and all that stuff." Um, but again, I think he was he was telling you that. I do what I have to do to sell tickets, but uh, at the end of the day, he's very patriotic. Speaking about the 4th of July, which this will be playing on the 4th of July tomorrow, you, you couldn't get much more patriotic than him. He was talking about that, about how he loves this country. And again, the, there's, a, there's a sense of honesty about him that, you know, you, you, you see what you get, you get what you see, uh, there's no BS. There's no pretense. Anyway, as far as the fight, it started with an eye poke, and it almost ended before the fight started. When when are they gonna invent what I've been really talking about and calling for for two years now, Ken? Some kind of flexible glove to keep the fingers together to avoid these dangerous injuries. I mean. Uh, at some point, with all the technology out there, all the engineering out there, they got to be able to come up with something. But the thing about Strickland, he's very experienced with comp- top competition, and he doesn't necessarily light up the room with neon abilities. He's not that guy. You know, he's not an Adesanya with, with just 
incredible, like from another planet kind of <laughs> reflexes and skills, like a Roy Jones in boxing, you know, like a Bruce Lee, you know, doing it his own way. He's just a very, really what what he does do is he keeps, you know, I talk about he doesn't have the neon abilities, but he keeps the light on and pays the bills by being just very consistent and steady and reliable for the most part. he He's just, he, he's that guy where he's very solid in the striking department. Um, he's technically really buttoned up. He uses his jam to set the table. Then he goes to eat with right hands and combinations, including uppercuts at the right time when the opponent covers up near the ropes or whatever, which he did beautifully the other day. He switched up on Saturday. He switched up his combinations at the right time. <laughs> He's very smart, picks the right spots for the right shots at the right time to throw them. Very deliberate, very patient. Um, again, he, uh, he might not light up the room with power, with neon talents with great great speed with great great finesse but for me he does have finesse his finesse is he's solid he's always balanced he's never out of position when he throws a punch um like i said he's buttoned up he he uh, he he's 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 well-rounded um his temperament you know he he doesn't get he doesn't get thrown off uh, he stays very calm and collected throughout the fight. Uh, and as I was touching on before, he's more honest than most. And one of the things that I point at about, uh, about him being honest was in his post-fight interview where most people would never admit this. He said, yeah, I thought about quitting. When I got that eye poke, it went through my head. He said the coward in me came forward. <laughs> and I actually thought most fighters would never admit that. They feel it. That's and right. it was a great teaching moment for everyone out there. Not only did he entertain everyone, he gave them a bonus, gave us a bonus. He taught everybody what I've talked about for my whole career, where, and where Customato used to always talk about. No matter what, when you're in this kind of conflicted, situation facing conflict facing danger anyone who says they're not afraid they're one of two things they either lie or they should go to a doctor find out what's missing <laughs> because something's missing something's wrong but as i always say and as cuz would always always say is that whether no matter who you are when you're in that situation everybody has those feelings Every they, some of the Muhammad Ali talked to Sports Illustrated years ago when he fought the Thriller in Manila with the great Joe Frazier, <laughs> and it was an unbelievable. Well, it wouldn't be called the Thriller Manila <laughs> if it wasn't an incredible fight back and forth. It's a historic fight, an epic fight, iconic fight. And after the tenth round, Ali thought about quitting. He thought about sitting on a stool. <laughs> And quitting. He said it was the closest thing that he ever felt to death. And what did he do? Well, when the bell rang, what did he do? He does what winners do. He does what champions do. He does what pros do. <laughs> he does what solid professional people, what fathers do. <laughs> when when they got to go home and uh, they got to go to work when they're sick and, and when their fingers are broke, their hands are broken, they still got to go out there and chop up, of, uh, 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 chop up a highway, chop up the ground with, with one of those jackhammers at, at five in the morning when it's freezing cold and their fingers are already broken up and, and the, the coldness uh, makes it even worse. They feel, they, they feel every vibration, everything echoes throughout their body of nothing but screaming pain. But what do they do? When the alarm goes off at 5 in the morning, they get up and they go because they have to, because they know the commitment they have. They know what they, they got to do. They know how to behave like a pro, like a father, like, like a samurai, like a, in their own way. And the great fighters, it's the same thing where 
you feel and and that's the lesson for the people out there <laughs> so you you get that understanding that even though they're fighters they feel the same they're mortal they're human they they bleed if you cut them they they feel the same doubts and inhibitions and and you know feelings and emotions that we all feel that you feel uh that you've never been in a ring but you you feel afraid of something you feel like giving up in a certain situation maybe it helps for you to understand that these great fighters these great warriors they feel the same thing they feel the same emotions the only thing that's different is in what they do and that's what cuss used to always pound into my head it doesn't matter how you feel all that matters is what you do, not how you feel. What's the difference between a hero and a coward in a war? The only difference is what they do. They both feel scared. They both wish they weren't there. They both are thinking about getting the hell out of there. But the hero controls his emotions, does what he has to do, and the coward doesn't control them and falls falls into those emotions, (laughs) allows those doubts, those fears that everyone has to control them instead of controlling those feelings. So... For him to get on, uh, it's it's like a little thing. Nobody thought none of it. Like, just a little thing. Oh, he said that. Okay, great. Move on to the next fight. But for me, it was a big thing. For him to get there and say, yeah, I thought about quitting. Yeah, the coward in me was trying to talk to me, but I told him to shut up. <laughs> I told him to get out of here. And I chased him. And again, that's that's what the great ones do. That's that, whether it's the great father, whether it's the great pro, whether it's the great lawyer going into a courtroom, scared to death in his first case or his second case or his hundredth case, whatever it is, or the doctor, you know, the surgeon in the operating room opens up a kid and there's veins bleeding places that they shouldn't be bleeding. I mean, you don't think that uh, they think, oh, I wish I wasn't here or, oh my God, they, they, you don't think they feel that anxiety, <laughs> those, those, those doubts. Those fears, they do, but they control it. And that's where it comes down to not medical knowledge, but how together you are mentally, you know, how strong you are in those departments and how buttoned, you are, buttoned up you are in those departments. And it's the same thing in, that, in everything in life, that, yeah, you got to be smart. Yeah, you got to be trained. Yeah, you got you to, you, you know, do all the work to be polished in those areas, but then it comes down to 75% of it in life, in boxing, in other sports, whatever it is, comes down to this, upstairs, the mental part. And just remember, even these great fighters like Strickland, they, they think those thoughts. They think like Muhammad Ali, nobody greater than him. Muhammad Ali thought about it. But all that matters is not how you feel, but what you do. So I, I just thought, again, I thought that him saying that uh, really should be really gone over uh, to the significance of what it, I thought it really it carried with it. Um, b- before the first bell of his fight, you know, I tweeted with our great tweeting team, I tweeted that uh, this could be like Hagler Hearns, where it's a war and it doesn't last long. And that great fight, you know, three-round fight with Hagler Hearns years ago. Uh, Hagler, if you remember, Ken, he got cut and hurt in the first round, and he went on to completely break down Hearns, physically, mentally destroyed him, dismantled him in the third round. Well, Strickland was, as we just said, seriously eye-poked in the first round. He lost the first round, and then he came back, just like Hagler, completely break down physically, mentally, Magomedov dismantled him. Basically, he had him giving in and submitting. He, he was, at the end of the day, he was too experienced, too steady, obviously too good for Magomedov. And um, I thought, the, again, I thought the cherry on top was, you know, unlike the Hagler Hearns, who went three rounds, Stairs only went two rounds, but very similar. Similar yeah. to the way. Just to the destructive, the dismantling job, piece by piece, taking them apart. Uh, and again, I thought the cherry on top was at the end where he talked about, you know, honestly about his emotions and his doubts um, and his thinking about giving up. Yeah. Yeah. Great fight. 
Let's jump over to the uh, boxing on uh, the top rank on UFC. Um, young prospect. One thing before Abdul we jump, I just yeah. want to say that I really hope that Strickland gets a big fight now and a chance, you know, to, to earn a title fight. He probably needs a big fight, win that, and then get a title fight. I, yeah. I would think would yeah. be the route. Um, Agreed. But but I, I would hope that... I would hope. Go ahead. I'm, I just want to say that. No problem. Uh, young prospect Abdullah Mason, 19 years old, from uh, Cleveland, uh, in action against Alex D. Oliveira, stops him in the second round, moves to 9-0 and with eight knockouts. Kid looked pretty good, pretty poised. How'd you yeah, like him? Yeah, but Ken, this isn't about that. This is about, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if the crowds out there, the fans... The, if we're there for the fans, that's why we do this show. And without them, we can't do it. There'd be no purpose to it. Um, but I'm just wondering, are you not tired of being treated the way that these promoters would, would treat you week in and week out, putting their young <laughs> prospects in with raw meat so they can build their record up and the commentators can, again, overhype how great they are for beating, basically, come on, the the doorman at the Excelsior Hotel. <laughs> uh, listen, I stayed there once. It's not what it used to be, but it, it used to be a really classy hotel. But you get the point. Come on now. And and the commentators, they, they just, do you have no shame at all? Like the comedian Sebastian... Manukasko would always say, and I asked Rob to put this up there, you got to get a kick out of this, but he would say, aren't you embarrassed? Aren't you embarrassed? <laughs> when they go over the top, you know, um, just comparing these guys to some of the greats in this sport, when uh, 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 the only great thing that, these kids have really accomplished. They're great amateurs. They did great in amateurs. The only thing that they've accomplished so far in the pros, quite frankly, and again, I'm the one that's going to say it. I don't care if some people like it, some don't. Freak it. But if I believe it's true, I'm going to say it. And the only thing that they've accomplished so far, and I've been there. I've been with these kids on their way up. We fight our share of, of doormen. I get it. But at this, when you're going to go... Go fight a doorman. Beat him. Do what you're supposed to do with the talent you have. But when you do, don't have the commentators trying to make make it like, you know, you've accomplished something that that is significant yet. The only thing that these kids have accomplished so far is that they got a great deal from their promoter. You know, uh, where they, they got obviously signed with a promoter that has the power to move them. Um, perhaps perhaps maybe also the great deal they got was they can use some of the bonus money they got to buy a new car. You know, that that's that's part of the great that's part of what they've what they've done. But stop it. Are are we the only place out there to bring a little bit of common sense and truth to all of this and say something? The the young kid, what's his name? Mason. All right, he fights uh, the Oliveira, right? Um, Oliveira was catafada. I mean, as were all the opponents on the card that night before the main event. But you're going to compare him to Floyd Mayweather? I mean, that doesn't make sense. That I, I know that you're trying to make your boss happy and you're trying to, you know, make the network think that, okay, we got the, these great great fighters on maybe they will be great someday but someday is not today it's not today <laughs> and to start to start look maybe i'm being too harsh and you know maybe i misheard what they said maybe maybe they weren't saying compare them to mayweather maybe i heard it it was saying you know there was foggy weather in may maybe that's maybe i misheard all right but other than that I don't know. I, I, and, and listen, since everyone that night with a mic was over the top, I guess the ring announcer figured he'd jump in the pool and get wet too because that ring announcer, my God, 
I mean, I know everybody's trying to make their mark. I know that, you know, I know there's a competition out there. There's a lot of them. But, and everyone's trying to get their thing and their signature. But, man, that that was, with, with, <laughs> with all the other stuff going on and all this other hype of, hype of crap going on, uh, again, before you put these guys on the Mount Rushmore of great fighters, can you let them fight somebody? Can you can you put things into a little bit of context? Yeah, yeah, we see he's got speed. We see that he's got talent. We see that he's a classy-looking prospect. But we also see with our own eyes that he's in there with somebody that was put there to get beat. He's not in there with anyone you know, to really, truly tell you how good he is or how good he could be. So please, you, you lose your credibility when you do that. You become like the boy that cried wolf. You, 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 you're saying, oh, that guy's Mayweather, this guy's that. And then when you really have one, nobody's going to believe you. No, nobody's going to listen. You, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the fans are sick of it. I know that fans come up to me and say, you represent us. You represent me, Teddy. But, uh, please tell them, please tell them this because we feel. All right, so I know that there's a, there's a segment of fans that feel that way. I don't know how many. I don't know how many. I hope we speak to enough that this is appreciated, that we are your voice. We are letting somebody know that we're watching, that we're noticing, that we're, we're not dumb. You know, we're not brain dead. We, we, we can think for ourselves and see if somebody's overmatched. Uh, you know, the kid's got good hand speed, but come on. Uh, he don't look like a big puncher, uh, but he, he, he's got good hand speed. But what did he do? He, he basically, he hit a heavy bag, and the heavy bag fell yep. off the chain. And, <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? So... Oh, Ken, get me out of this, please. I'm well, gonna... if you think they were hyping that guy, they have Jared Anderson being the greatest heavyweight of all time. Jared Anderson beats oh. um, beats Charles Martin, 10-round decision, wins handedly on all the cards. Um, how'd you like that one? All night, they kept saying, he beat the, the former heavyweight champ of the world. Okay, take nothing away from Martin. But let me dissect that. Let me actually explain exactly what exactly the what um how martin won the heavyweight title okay yeah he was he was heavyweight champ for a couple minutes there's no doubt about it but he fought for the vacated title the title had been vacated by tyson fury because he refused to uh fight the the leading contender, a guy named Glaskov. Glaskov, so when he refused to fight Glaskov, Tyson Fury, he was going to fight a rematch instead with Klitschko, who he beat, who of course made more sense to go in that direction, right? But, of course, the sanctioned organizations, what they do is they strip tease you, right? So they they stripped him and they vacated the title. So the vacated title... Martin was put in position to fight Glaskov. And in the fight, he suffered. Glaskov slipped. He fell. And he suffered a torn ACL in his right knee. So he couldn't continue. So early in the fight, this happens. So Martin, it happens. All right. So technically, yeah, he's the heavyweight champ of the world by... ACL injury, right? So he wins He wins the vacated title against Glaskov, who tears up his right knee. And then what happens? Well, Anthony Joshua's people, they saw an opportunity, a great opportunity, to just grab a world title. So they offered Martin, an, they gave him like the godfather. They gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Eight and a half million dollars. So they give him $8.5 million. Can you imagine, Ken, to make his first defense after winning a vacated title on a knee collapse? And he gets $8.5 million 
to fight Joshua. Well, Joshua knocks him out in two rounds. Many people thought Martin quit, but whatever. He destroyed him in two rounds, okay? Now, part of the history here, it's going to seem like I'm trying to knock Martin. No, I'm trying to bring truth and light to the whole matter. Not knock him, just bring light and truth that we're going to talk about. All night long, the commentators, you know, kind of like ah, 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 banging the chest of, you know, uh, 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 their fists on their chest saying, yeah, he's fighting. Our guy is stepping up. Anderson's their guy. They, they want to have the next heavyweight champ. They got him signed to top rank. Oh, he's fighting a former heavyweight champ. Okay, he was. But let's put it in proper context. Let's put it in proper light. Now, Martin also, besides having the distinction of being a heavyweight champ, he also has the distinction, um, if you want to call it that, of having the second shortest title reign in the history of heavyweight boxing. Holding the title for just 85 days, the record for shortest reign was actually held by Tony Tucker, was only 64 days. So Martin's been knocked out two times in his career to Joshua and to a 42-year-old Luis Ortiz. Now, Ortiz is a good puncher and a good fighter, Southpaw, but, and to the credit of Martin, before Ortiz knocked him out, he dropped Ortiz. But it doesn't change the fact that Martin's not that all, he's not all that good. Besides being 37 years old. Look, the bottom line, Martin was there for one reason. They thought Anderson was going to knock him out. Yep. Anderson didn't knock him out. Partly because of Martin's experience, his size, his length, all those things. He gave him some problems. Um, his heart, all of that. But also part of it's because Anderson's not as good as they're making him. They, he's, <laughs> uh, you know, he had 14 straight or 13 straight knockouts. Again, uh, have you seen the doorman in your your the old doorman in your building recently? No, you haven't. You know why you haven't? He's one of those thirteen that got knocked out, and he's still recovering. That's why you haven't seen him. So yeah, yeah, he had 13, 14 straight knockouts, and then he goes the distance against Martin. They didn't think he was gonna. They thought he was going to knock out Martin because of the reasons I just laid out there, and he didn't. And why didn't he? Again, credit to Martin, but also because he's not as good as they make him. Not yet. Not yet. And then to listen to these commentators, I mean, they're like evoking thoughts of like Joe Lewis, like, like he's the next Joe Lewis, like uh, maybe Jerry Lewis, but Joe Lewis? <laughs> and, and, and listen, Jerry Lewis, we shouldn't demean Jerry Lewis. He was a funny son of a gun. He, was, he made a lot of good movies with Dean Martin, a lot. And, and you know what I mean? And look, Charles Martin is about a foot taller than Dean Martin was, but Dean Martin could sing better. Dean Martin could sing. That guy, everybody loves somebody sometime. Everybody loves somebody sometime. What a great song. I know I don't do it justice. What a great song. Maybe Rob could get a line up there of that song. Look, bottom, bottom line, Ken, you got to cut through the muck. You got to cut through the fog. I'm sorry. It's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. I, I got to cut through it. We got to cut through some of that muck that they put. When you saw the, the ring walk, you touched on it. The introduction, bringing Anderson out. You would have thought Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali, and George Foreman all had come back together and they had merged into one. And 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 they were he was, whatever that would represent, that great fighter was coming out. That's what you would have thought. You really would have. Uh, can you slow it down just a beat? Just a, because, again, where's your credibility? Where, how are you going to now build him up next time? How are you going to build up your next prospect when, when, you, when you go and you bring the trumpet and the drums and the, and, uh, the fireworks? And, uh, I mean, they had more fireworks than you're going to see tonight in the 4th of July. And I'm saying tonight because, you know, you're going to be seeing this on Tuesday, the 4th. You're, you saw more fireworks going on uh, in, in the arena with him coming out. Uh, really? Are you, come on. <laughs> Come on! Does, does nobody else have a little pride and say, stop doing this to us? It's too much? I wish Anderson nothing but well. And listen, 
He was a national champion, terrific amateur, but he's not a tremendous pro yet. Not yet. Maybe he will be. I hope he is. I hope he is. You know, but not yet. Not yet. And the as far as the analysis, the analysis of the fight, Martin's a sophomore. He's very long. And, and I had to laugh. Some of the commentators would say, oh, he should back him up. Martin should back him up. He should go forward. Why? You got freaking arms as long as a phone pole. Why? You can hit the guy from across the street. Why would you back him up and give up that height? He was, and sure enough, when he heard him, he heard him at a distance with a long left hand behind the jab. He, he, so uh, using his length, using his height, Martin gave Anderson some trouble. But Anderson gave himself trouble where he was coming up short in technical areas where he hasn't developed enough. And look, when you fight those kind of guys, those doormen and those taxi drivers that he was fighting to knock out 13, 14, or 13 in a row, <laughs> whatever it was, when you're doing that, this you you're not learning a lot you you learn what you learned in the amateurs but you're not developing you're not being forced and made to develop to learn you can develop bad habits you can do things wrong and think it's right because you're getting away with it but then when you fight better fighters you find out it was wrong and by then it's too late and i think some of that happened ken I think some of that happened because he was pulling back. Why did he get hit with those left hands? He was pulling back. Instead of slipping, moving his head, I say in the gym all the time, if a train's coming at you on a railroad track, what do you do? You don't run down the track. You're going to get killed by the train. What do you do? You jump off the track. You step to the side. Let the train go by you. When a punch has come, slip to the side. Let the punch go by. Don't pull straight back. But he was pulling straight back. Now, was with other guys not as long as Martin, maybe not as experienced as Martin, he could get away with it. Maybe not as good a punch as Martin was with the left hand. <laughs> maybe he got away with pulling back. But it, it's still the wrong thing. Sooner or later, you're going to pay a price for it. He almost paid a price. He got hurt in a fight. And, and then he kept coming up short. How do you get to a taller guy? There's a couple ways. One way is you move your feet in as you move your head and you use your jab. You use your jab, you come behind the cover of a jab. If there's enough of a distance, you have to double it up, maybe triple it up. You have to judge how far that distance is to decipher how many jabs you need. That's part of what you have to learn. Part of what you learn with experience and with teaching in the gym. So you got to talk, guy. One way to get to him is you step in, you move your feet, you move your jab to get in, and you move your head to avoid his jab, just like Tyson did. Even though he was shorter, he out-jabbed all the guys because he knew how to slip and, and throw his jab where he took away the reach and the height advantage of the other guy. <laughs> and he was able to score with his jab. That's how you do it. What did Anderson do wrong? He kept coming up short. Why? Because he wasn't doubling the jab up and he wasn't stepping far enough and he wasn't continuing with his steps. <laughs> he was coming up short. So he would get to a certain point, half land the punch, half not land the punch, and then Martin would bail out on him a little further and Anderson didn't complete the mission. He didn't complete the journey. He hasn't been taught how to do that. He hasn't gotten experience to do that. He hasn't gained the confidence, to, whatever it is. But that's what was coming up short, is that he was, he was allowing himself to come up short. He wasn't continuing the journey. He wasn't continuing with the step. He wasn't going quite far enough. He was going to a certain point, and then he was cutting off, and he was falling short. All night long, he was predictable. He kept doing the same thing wrong over and over and over again. And those things have to be corrected when he fights the better fighters. And listen, he shouldn't get mad or nobody who likes him should get mad that I'm doing this. They should actually say thank you, Teddy. You know what? Like a simple thank you would do. And, and of course, I'm, I'm being facetious here. I'm joking around, tongue-in-cheek a little bit. You know, I don't care about getting thanked. But I'm just saying, constructive criticism is not only good, it's necessary sometimes. 
where you have to have somebody telling you the truth where you're doing something wrong so you can correct it. Because sooner or later, the truth will visit you in life, in whatever you do, and in a ring. It will visit you one day, and you better be ready for it or you're going to be a sad customer <laughs> when, when, when that day comes. So, you know, don't get upset that I'm, uh, uh, that I'm pointing these things out. I'm doing my job. And if anything, take it, to, take it to, to heart in a way that you say, I'm going to correct those things. I had a fighter, uh, what was it, uh, half a year ago, I'm down in Lenox City for a showbox fight because my son was, was helping out the promoter, um, uh, Salida. Dimitri Salida, my son was in. So I went to back my son up. And I'm sitting ringside. And the fighter in the, in the main event pulls off an upset. Great kid. Great kid from Africa originally. What a great kid. What a great human being. Can't think of his name right now. But what a good person. What an honest person. And he, he comes up to me and says, Teddy, I've been waiting to see you for six years, whatever. <laughs> He said, I fought one of my early fights years ago on ESPN, and it was a bad night for me, and you destroyed me. You, you say, yeah, he said, not in a mean-spirited way. You were just doing your job, but you destroyed me. You, you, and you know what I did? I said, I'm going to listen to this man. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. But I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to correct what he said, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to fight one day, and I'm going to fight, and I hope he's there. When I fight and I win a fight. Guess what? I don't know. You believe in God. You believe in fate. You believe in whatever. Whatever you believe in. That things just happen sometimes a certain way. But I was there. I didn't know I was going to be there. And that kid was fighting. <laughs> and he came up to me and said, I won tonight. I said, I saw you. You look good. Congratulations. He said, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for that day four years, five years ago, whatever it was, <laughs> where you said that. Because it made me think it made me look inwardly where I hadn't been looking at what I could do better, what I had to do better if I was going to get better. And, and it allowed me to be in a position to win this fight tonight, which, which may or may not be true. He was in position because of himself, because of his character, his resiliency, his talent, the, his work ethic. Not me, not Teddy Atlas. But for him to say that, what, what, a, what a winner. What a winner that kid. I wish you could look up his name <laughs> so I could say his name. But what a winner that, that kid was. And what I'm saying now is I'm not doing any different than I did seven years ago, whenever that was, on ESPN. I'm doing my job. I'm just saying what I saw. And you could take it or leave it but and feel mad or be like this kid and say, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look inwardly and I'm going to look at things that I got to look at because sometimes when you're the man, see the difference with this kid, he didn't have a big promoter. This was a kid who came from Africa. He had nothing. He had nothing except the American dream to make something of himself. <laughs> That's all he had. All he had was, was, was inside him and he was going to bring it out and, and he had to make it. He had no choice. He had nothing to fall back on. <laughs> he, he had nobody give, paying him big purses, protecting him giving him soft opposition. No, it wasn't going to be an easy road for him. He knew it. So he had to buckle down. He had to face the truth sooner than later. But when you have everyone around you like Anderson, and listen, he earned it. He was a great amateur. He earned it. Busted his backside to get there. But when you have that, and you have a big promoter, and you have everybody looking out for you and protecting you, you know what? You have everybody telling you how great you are. You, you got something to fall back on. You don't, you don't have to look at the truth as harsh as this kid did. You don't have to look at it as fast and, and, and right away as this kid did because you got everybody telling you everything's great, we're taking care of it, you're not fighting anybody, and you're not fighting anybody until you fight somebody. But don't fool yourself. Even if you are one of those protected guys, your day is coming. Your day of reckoning is coming. It is coming. It's around the yep, corner. That's true. It's just a matter of how far around the corner. So anyway, look, last week, I, I did the same critiquing of Progress, 
where I, I talked about the things he did wrong in his fight. And you know what? He's a world champion. So if it's good enough, if I could do it and critique a world champion, guess what? I think it's okay to critique a young heavyweight who, who's just starting to step up now to a higher class and, and give him a critique of things that, you know, he, he's, he's going to have to face, you know, sooner or later. Sooner or yep. later, he's going to have to deal with those things. But anyway, at the end of the day, he's a talented kid. I thought one thing he did well, he went to the body of the tall guy. When you got a tall guy in front of you, there's a tall, long body there. Go to the body. He went to the body. He didn't do it enough. But at least he went there. But he didn't do it enough. And um, uh, he did show a good chin. You know, I'm, I'm not here to knock him. I'm here to, to tell the truth. But he did show heart. He did show a good chin. He did recover from a big punch from Martin. Uh, you know, there is promise there. The heavyweight division, except for the top heavy couple guys, is wide open. But you still, there's still guys when you get up there that you're going to have to beat that they're not going to, it's, it's not going to be as easy as it's been so far. And That's you right. better start to come to that reality now in the areas that you need to come to reality in and the areas that I'm talking about. Yep. Yep. Perfectly said. Uh, big card this coming weekend. Like you said, we'll all be out in Vegas. We'll get with Rob and uh, see if we can't coordinate something. But our friend Alex Volkanovsky is in action. Uh, our other friend um, Moreno's in action. Both former guests of the show. Uh, both in tough per usual in the UFC. But looking forward to that. You know, I laugh every uh, time you say another one of our friends i'm saying this in a laughing way you know it makes me again you know i'm a movie buff right crazy <laughs> it makes me think of goodfellas hey a friend of ours is he a friend exactly. of ours or, <laughs> or a friend of yours hey, he's a friend of ours oh he's a friend of ours oh he's a friend of ours he's he's a friend of the show because people realize the kind of show we have here. We really don't have, like, I don't know how else to explain it, but we don't have assholes on this show. We have good guys on the show. Everyone who's been on has been a really properly nice guy. And, uh, hey, I, we root for them. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing you in Vegas. And uh, hopefully it's not 120 degrees in the morning when it's time to run. Oh, it's not going to be in the morning, but <laughs> you're gonna, you better get up very early, Ken. because Rob will be right there with me. Uh, I'm sure he will, but you two are running <laughs> maniacs. Two running maniacs. Um, yeah, you better get up, I, I don't know, before the sun comes up. Yeah, well, Teddy, thanks for putting up with my illness today. We're, we're recording a little bit late. I'm very sorry. I, I Honestly, I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. I'm so sick. But um, thank you to Rob and Sam for accommodating, and I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful 4th of July, and stay safe, and uh, enjoy your freedom. And we'll be back next week with all the uh, UFC action. Thank you, Teddy. God bless everybody, and um, God bless America.